Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. Reading out of the ESV. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. And this is very interesting to me. I want to just kind of side thing here. Because, you know, just in the, just the chapter before, he had the vision. Right? Of, of the, he had the dream of the statue. And it was only the head that was gold. But now it's like, you know, Daniel gives the interpretation. After you, is going to come another kingdom. And it's the silver and all this. And he's like, no. Maybe. I'm reading into the text here. But it's interesting that he did not make the statue that he saw in his dream. He made a statue all of gold. I mean, just you could just read the pride in the man. What other kingdom that's coming after me? Made an image all of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. You know what a cubit is? That's from your elbow to the tip of your fingers. And he set it up in the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. The king and King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, that's a ruler, and the prefects, that's leaders of administration, and the governors and the counselors and the treasurers and the justices and the magistrates and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image that the king had set up. Then the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the counselors and the treasurers and the justices and the magistrates and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image that the king had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, Bill and Marcel are about to be heralds. You are commanded, O people, nations and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trijon, the harp, the bagpipes, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately, immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore... As soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, pipe, and the lyre, and the trigen, and the harp, and the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the people, the nations, the languages, they fell down and they worshipped the golden image that the king had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans, and these are very wise men, very smart. In fact, during this time in Babylon, the Chaldeans was actually a term that was used for the higher class of society, just so you know. We're not necessarily talking about Abraham's kinfolk, because he came from Ur of the Chaldees, right? Not necessarily, but this was a very high part of society. And these three boys that we're about to talk about had been, they were Jewish, they were slaves, and they'd been put into positions of authority that these men more than likely wanted. And they declared, oh sorry, they came forward and they maliciously accused the Jews. And they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Let's patronize this man. Well, of course, you have to say that to the king. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn and the pipe and the lyre and the trigen and the harp and the bagpipe and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Is this not an affront to the... To the, to the thing that he, his pride and all of this, is this not like basically saying what Daniel was going to happen? Who are these Jews? Who are these Christians in today's world? If you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn and the pipe and the lyre and the trigen and the harp and the bagpipe and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Isn't it amazing that he gave them a second chance? You go back and you read the history of the people during this time. There was one judge. And he took a bribe during the, around about the same exact time as this. He took a bribe. And when the king found out about it, he said, you're going to be killed. But before we take your life, you need to appoint your successor. And so he said, my, my son will be my successor to be the judge and to sit in my chair to judge over the matters. And so the king said, oh, that's, that's very great because we're going we're gonna to flay you, which means we're going to peel your skin off while you're still alive. And then what we're going to do is we're going to take your chair that your son's going to sit on for the rest of his rulership, and we're going to recover it from the skin on your back. 
And that's exactly what happened. These types of people during this day, you did not get a second chance. So this was a miracle in itself. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered, verse 16, and said to king, the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. What boldness. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. There's the faith. But if not, no presumption. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. He was already filled with wrath. And the expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he ordered the furnace be heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them in to the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. And they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace was overheated, the flames of the fire killed those men who had took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, found, fell down into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. <laughs> and he rose up in haste, and he declared to his counselors, Didn't we throw three men bound in the fire? They answered to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire. They are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. I often wonder why. And the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the kings and the counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair on their hands were not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make a decree that any person, any nation or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be laid in ruins, for as there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Most of us are very familiar with this story. We have heard this since Sunday school days, and it's excited our minds that we have thought about these three young boys and just their boldness and their steadfastness in the face of great danger. And what an incredible tale of how the Lord came and delivered them in the midst of the, of, I mean, really from the very jaws of death itself. And young people especially, I know I have, have been touched by this story throughout countless centuries, just reading this testimony about people that have stood in the face of of uncertain death and or certain death that is and just difficult situations and things that come against our lives and what a message that is needed for today young people if there's one thing you need to do it's stand for God and to know that he'll never leave you he'll never forsake you if we would lose everything else before we would lose our integrity if we would lose everything else then we would lose our faith that's the way that we should live and when everything else is gone when you only have a clear conscience just stand there for with your loins girt about with truth come whatever may but take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ he is worth giving your life for amen no doubt some of us in this room have had incredible testimonies of how the Lord has come and freed us from such terrible things that have come against our lives. He has met us in the fire. I'm experiencing that yet again right now in my life. And praise God, I've said to you, you have been the hands and feet of Jesus to me in the midst of those flames. And we look back at times and we remember what Jesus has done. And we encourage each other and we encourage ourselves. We encourage our children. And we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the 
testimony that's in our hearts. Praise God for all of those things. And then we remember that it was never a waste of time when the preacher told us, just hold on. Fight the good fight of faith. That he told us that godliness with contentment is great gain. And to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Because the nearness of the presence of God always brings a victory. Does it not? We sing about that. So many of us can talk for hours and hours about how God came in our darkest moments. We've laid in this altar. We've wept. We so stained the carpet before with our tears. We had to roll the thing up and get it out of here because it was just so destroyed because of what God had done in our life in a good way. The miracles of His deliverance. I know that it's not always in this life that we get the deliverance. I'm not going to be one of those preachers that tells you, oh, just name it and claim it. I'm telling your victory is coming. Yeah, it might be on the other side of the grave. Hebrews 11 is very clear. And I don't make any excuses for it. I believe in divine healing. We've prayed for my wife so many times. I don't know how many bottles of oil we've gone through. I mean, I've fasted. I quoted scripture. I mean, this has been eight long years of us fighting this thing. You know, and it's like, I believe in divine healing. But I also know... That in Hebrews chapter 11, there's plenty of folks that died in the faith, not having received the promise, this side of the river. And I'm okay with that. Because I'm living for a different world. I've got an eternal perspective. Yes, I want the here and now. Yes, I want the blessings of God now. Yes, my flesh likes to be comfortable, just like everybody else's. But at the same time, I love Him. I love him so much. He's done so much for me. Why would I not walk away from all my expectation? Why would I not submit myself under the will of God? Why would I allow a root of bitterness to come into my heart just because things didn't work out the way that I wanted to? The way that the cheap prophet who should be stoned told me. If you're born again, you're living for a different kingdom. Oh, may God give us a constant, eternal perspective that our worldview would not be hindered by the culture in which we live, but would be ruled by the culture of heaven. Amen? We may never have much in the way of physical, but I can tell you if we'll walk with God, we will be rich beyond my ability to describe to you in the spiritual. Treasure unimaginable in the kingdom of God. Amen. It's better to burn in the fire than to live in this world knowing that you've denied Christ. It's better to burn in the fire than to be angry at God, disgruntled and bitter against the Most High. You can be honest with God. You can pour your heart out to Him and you can describe to Him your feelings. But when you get up from the altar, you can't have bitterness in your heart. You can tell God how much it hurts when dad goes home before his time. You can tell him how it's not fair what happened with the marriage. You can say, Lord, the baby died. Why did this happen to us? But if he never tells us why, if he never gives any explanation to us, what is our response going to be? We're going to shake our fist at God? Really? Many do. Many do. That can I know him in the fellowship of suffering? Can I know him in a fiery furnace? You better believe I can. You better believe I can. It's better to burn, but never turn away from the truth. What does the scripture say? Buy the truth and sell it when? Never. Sell it not. Don't deny the goodness of the Most High. Rather die. Doesn't matter if it costs you the whole world to buy the treasure. For what will it profit a man if he gain the whole world but loses his soul? Nothing. We know that the Bible says that all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, disappointment. Yet we're always astonished somehow. Isn't it amazing? We're astonished when we find ourselves in the fiery furnace. Jesus promised us it would happen. And then when it comes, we're like, I must be out of the will of God because we listen too much to the Prosperity preachers. I mean, I was talking with somebody this week about some crazy book they're reading. 
by an author who will, well, he's already dead, so there's, I guess I can because, you know, it's, the guy's not going to change his mind. But Charles Caps, I mean, unbelievable. The miracle in your mouth, all of that. I'm like, how is this still going on in the church? I mean, if you stand in front of the same one-armed bandit so many times and pull it and pull it and pull it, and never, you think at some point people will be like, I don't think this is the will of God. I don't think that this is right teaching. But they pack Vegas out all the time. It's amazing. The Christian life is a double-edged sword. Because nothing is more greater, no, nothing is more joyous than to be redeemed and to walk with God. To have your sins forgiven, to be dunked in this baptistry back here. Come up a new living creature and walk with the Lord with a renewed mind. Old things have passed away. Everything's become new. I mean, there's a firm foundation under your feet. You're not worried about tomorrow. You're not looking for absolute truth. You found it all. It's like, praise God, I've got everything. But then at the same time, no life has more turmoil. No life has more attacks from the enemy than the Christian life. Have you read Pilgrim's Progress? I mean, good Lord, everything that Pilgrim faced on his way to the celestial city. Sometimes I read that story and I'm like, how in the world did John Bunyan, he must have had a time machine and, and knew my life because he's writing it on the pages of this book. Who hasn't fallen into the slew of despond? My God! But praise the Lord for the evangelist who just comes every once in a while. Thank God for a church like y'all, faithful, who's there with you through it to just fight with you in the battle of faith and put their arm around you and just say, look, we can go down this road together. We're headed someplace, folks. It's not here. I'm living for a kingdom, a different city whose builder and maker is God. Amen? The furnaces that... Christians are cast into very in different ways. I know this is kind of part two of what I preached a couple of weeks ago, but here you go. First, there's the furnace which other people kindle. I just can't get past this. This is where I'm at in my life right now. I'm preaching to me. I'm in the furnace sometimes which other people kindle. I'm being delivered from that. Praise God, Felix. God's doing a work in my life. It's a sad fact that so many... Actually, every single one of the storms and the floods that y'all experience here in Louisiana for the past, since history was written, are nothing in compared to what people do to one another. Oh, that's the worst kind of pain. That's the worst kind of flood. That's the worst kind of storm that can ever come. Hurricane Katrina got nothing on that. When this natural world throws things against us, nothing in compared to the devilish heart of people. Because that's what everybody is, unredeemed. And even the redeemed, at times, fall back into that. And when the church hurts you, oh, nothing worse than that. Because it's the body of Christ now. The very ones that are supposed to be these ministers of reconciliation are the ones now that have a sword through your back and they're turning it and turning it and turning it. You're like, when are you going to let me up? Where's the mercy? Where's the manifestation of the Scripture? They'll know that you're Christians by your love. Yeah, they'll know you're Christians by the sword that you're putting in my back. You ever been there? Too many in mine. Praise God, the Lord has made my back wider. Because He never pulls them out. All those, those things remain, don't they? There's healing in it, but it remains. Jesus said, if the world hates you, Know that it hated me before it ever hated you. John 15. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, because I've chosen you out of the world, hallelujah, therefore the world hates you. So there's a furnace that we face as believers from other people. A furnace of difficulty, a furnace of oppression. People just making your life a living hell whether it's your neighbor, somebody on the job, your family members. The children of Israel were down there in Egypt, slaves in bondage to the brick kilns. Racism, tribalism, it plagues every single nation on the earth. I mean, we just freed that family. I showed you a couple, whenever it was, a week ago or so ago, the Asif family, 13 years in misery. We just got them out, Hallelujah. But oppression is far from dead, even in a nation as free as ours. Then there's the furnace of slander. You know, we're growing blackberries in our backyard right now. Oh, I love them. Got the thornless ones. Oh, they're great. 
but I can't hardly get out there early enough because those stinking birds get them first. The more the mature, more mature the fruit is, the more the birds go after it. That's you. The more mature you are in Christ, the more the devil's birds, his demons are going to come after you to peck at you and slander you and tear you down. Don't expect that the world is ever going to speak well of you. It never spoke well of our Christ. The disciple is not above his master. The servant's certainly not above his Lord. Matthew 10, 24. So I should expect to be misunderstood. Not only out there, but here. I should expect to be misrepresented. I mean, the church is now being represented by Jordan Peterson. It's insanity. The man doesn't even claim to be redeemed. But yet Christians are heralding this philosopher, this psychologist, because he's got a platform and he's teaching the Word of God. His version of it. I'm just like, what, what has happened to the worldview of the church when this type of stuff is going on? It's incredible. When the wicked king Ahab saw Elijah coming, remember what he said to him? What are you doing, you troubler of Israel? Have you ever been called that? You're the problem, Christian. You're the reason why we're in all this mess today. You're the one who judges everyone else when really it's we're the ones that are praying for everybody else that they'd be saved. We're the ones that are loving everybody else that they would be redeemed from the wrath to come. The devil accused Jerusalem of being a city that made sedition against kings. Remember that when Nehemiah was building the wall? Missionaries all over the world today and the body of Christ as a whole are accused of stirring up sedition against everyone else in the world. Yeah, we're the problem. There's places now, most secular universities, you can't be an openly, pro, you can't come out of the closet and be an open Christian born again and teach biology in a secular university. No way. Unless you're tenured. And in the world of academics, which I'm a part of at this time, I have talked on Tuesday, yesterday, to scholars in Canada that were telling me that they are now counseling all their people that are born again in the higher places of education. Unless you're tenured, don't let anybody know that you're born again. You'll lose your position. It's coming south. Probably already here. At some point in our discussion, these men made this statement, and I believe them, won't be long before, if you say you're born again, you won't even be allowed to go to the university. We know there's going to be a time that we're not going to be allowed to buy or sell. Never mind that Christians are the ones who are the most generous. We give more than any other group. Did you know that? Did you know that, I've heard this a lot, but I found out recently the statistics are horribly wrong. Did you know that the least divorces are in the evangelical church? They say that we're tied with the world. That's not true. That's because they lump in all the weird denominations and nominal people who just say they go to church. But if you're born again, if you claim to be born again, we're number one, happiest wives, happiest marriages, happiest children, best relationships, everything. But they're skewing even the statistics against us, guys. Slander. That's what I'm getting at right now. This is the fiery furnace that we're in. We care for the widow. We care for the orphan. We save the unborn. We feed the homeless. We rehabilitate the prisoners and the drug addicts. We're the problem. Never mind, like Jesus, we're the greatest friend that this world has ever had. No, no. We are the reason for every difficulty in the world, according to their eyes. Because we hate everybody, right? Slander. Scandals of every size, shape, color are laid at the doorstep of your house and mine and at the church of the living God. They hate us without a cause. Count it not strange when you're in the fiery furnace, though. We're partakers of the sufferings of Christ, aren't we? Hallelujah. They don't hate us. They hate who we represent. Multitudes of Christians have been left to rot in dungeons and killed on hillsides. Ever heard, heard of the hill of blood in Scotland? Horrific the things that happened there. They perished in poverty and need, have endured trials, mockings, beatings, great pains as they've been thrown into fiery furnaces by their fellow man. A friend of mine, very dear friend of mine, Gary Witherall, maybe some of you have probably heard of him. He's in the new uh, Book of Martyrs. 
But I met him years and years ago. What just a wonderful brother. The ship that I was on, he was on the ship. And he ended up marrying a girl from my state, Washington State, Bonnie. And just fantastic couple. Loved the Lord with all their heart. Ended up going to the little town, Sedon, like maybe 50 miles south of Beirut in Lebanon. And they were working with a, a, a clinic there. His wife was a nurse, and, and she was doing prenatal stuff with Palestinian refugees. This was in 2002. And she would always open the clinic at, nine, at 8 in the morning. And here Bonnie goes down, you know, 8 in the morning. It's time. She goes over, and she unlocks the door, and she opens it up just to see if anybody's standing out there. And here's a man. And he pulls out a gun, and he shoots her three times in the head, right in the face. This is very close to my home. I know these people. These are friends of mine. Killed her instantly. My friend Gary had to walk that out. How's that look now, preacher? You going to forgive? They never caught the guy. No motive ever given. To this day. We know. But he had to walk that out. Forgiving those that had murdered his wife. They'd only been married a few years, and by the grace of God, Jesus walked with him on those coals. He was able to forgive them, and he would go on to marry the granddaughter of Roger Udarian, who was one of the men that was killed alongside Jim Elliot. They now have a phenomenal ministry, challenging young people to go and give their lives for the gospel in foreign lands. furnace which men kindle is terrible. But there's another furnace. We all know about it. The furnace of your own terrible thoughts that the devil breathes upon you with his bellows. Temptation. It's miserable. Because you're fighting what you think is a battle in yourself. You don't really always realize what's going on. But he pumps those bellows of temptation and it's hurled upon us. and It's extremely difficult to bear and he knows our weak places. He knows our secret sins. He knows how quick our temper is. He knows how easily we can be provoked. And at times we feel like that man in Psalm 73 who said, my feet were almost gone. They almost slipped. But the Lord stayed me up. Hallelujah. Jesus himself, we know this, went through these temptations, three of them. And it wasn't just some little demon that came, but it was the devil himself. The prince of the power of the air who came against the Lord of glory. The same thing happened to Job, but all of this evil came against that wonderful man's life. And the God of this world came knocking on his door, and he went through one of the most terrible experiences that anybody's ever had in the history of of the universe. The bellows of the enemy's furnace begins to pump and suddenly accusation coming against you, blowing in your face, and he hisses in your ears and says, your sins have destroyed you, Noah. God's never going to forgive you. You've committed the unpardonable sin. You're too far gone for grace. You're such a hypocrite. Who are you to be preaching anywhere? Your experiences with God have been nothing but a dream. All the times you thought you heard from the Lord, you didn't hear anything. And then, the devil assumes his favorite character, which is the accuser of the brethren. And then he brings up all the sins of your past, which he himself brought to you, all the terrible thoughts you've ever had, which he himself put in your mind and then stood back and accused you of it. And then he tries to tell you what a horrible person you are. And unless you and I are comforted by the grace of God, it's easy for us to fall into depression and just give up all hope. And that's when we need the fellowship of the church. Thank you. Thank you for being that to us. Because if we don't have that, you know what happens? We fall into complaining and murmuring. And a root of bitterness begins to form in my heart against the Lord. The devil blows his bellows again and tells us, Ha! 
That's the sin of blasphemy right there, buddy. And he utters terrible things about God in your ears and tries to cast them into your heart, suggesting that they're your own thoughts and your own ideas. And we struggle within ourselves. We struggle with wanting to even have fellowship with the body. We struggle in wanting to come to the altar and and make a choir of praise. We struggle with wanting to spend time in the Word. Struggle with wanting to pray. Everything about the spiritual life, we just want to reject it and we feel like just running away and hiding ourselves like Adam did in the garden. We hate what has come upon us and we try to shake ourselves loose from it, but we just can't seem to and it's thin when you need the body more than anything. This is the furnace of the devil. I want to look at one more before I get too long on this message. The third furnace is one that we don't like to think about much because it messes with our theology. And that is the furnace which God Himself seems to prepare for His people. I don't know how many times I've been going through something and I'm just crying out for deliverance, crying out for deliverance, crying out for deliverance and rebuking the devil only to have the Lord tap me on the shoulder finally and say, Hey, it's me. It's not anybody else. This is me. You're on my wheel. I'm taking out the stones. All those sharp pieces that are cutting my hands. Taking them out of you because I want to make you into something beautiful. And so he allows things to happen at times physically. Your body's not where it should be, pain, disease. I'm not saying that every time you're sick, it's the Lord putting you in a fiery furnace. Please don't hear that. But I want, I want to bring out is that it's amazing how quickly that a young, strong person can be brought so very low. They should be in good health, they're not in good health, and there's nothing worse than that. But then there's the furnace of bereavement. Ask Evan Pyle all about it, Wendy. Some of us, many of us, know about that. The child gets sick, they die. The wife's health begins to suffer, they die. The husband is struck down with a stroke or something else happens like this. Friend after friend departs from you, departs this world. I'm going to Alaska next week to bury my best friend from high school. Just got born again, praise God. But it's not easy. It's not easy, folks. We cry out bitterly with the writer of Psalms 88 sometimes. Lover and friend you have put far from me and my acquaintances unto darkness. Lord, why are you taking away my friends? Why are you removing those that really knew me and were just an ever-present help in time of need? Why are you taking away my spouse, my child, At the same time, some of us begin to experience the loss of temporary things. The business, which we thought was doing so well, suddenly just collapses. We build the house and it's seized by the courts. We hoist the sail like my dad and then it takes us to some land that we never had any intention of going to. I cannot exhaust the multitude of crosses which God in His mysterious wisdom allows to be laid upon the shoulders of the soldiers of Christ. It's innumerable. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers them out of them all. And I can tell you that 26, 27, I don't even know anymore, but however many years I've been in ministry, I have come to realize that the difficulties of the believer are more numerous than the sands in the Sahara. And I'm okay with that. Some people think I'm insane because they say, how can you believe a God of love would ever allow any of that? Because they don't have an eternal perspective. And their understanding of what deliverance is is rescuing from a temporary difficulty instead of redemption unto a new life. What do you really want? Do you really want God just to save you? Or do you want to be redeemed? Oh, I want to be redeemed. Because I know many are the afflictions of the righteous. And if he saves me out of just this one, I know there's another one coming. 
So I want to draw close to him, like we sang about tonight. I really want to know him. I really want to walk with God. So that when all the arrows of the enemy come and the church stands up against me and says that I don't have any faith in the middle of the greatest battle of my life, I can stand and say, no, I'm walking with God Almighty. And he's working something out in my life. And I don't understand everything that he's doing. But sooner or later, even with Job, God turned the captivity of Job. The Lord allows all this to happen. We have to know that he does it because we belong to him. Because he chastises those that he loves. And we are dearly, dearly loved. And that sounds like such a crazy contradiction. But you never see a goldsmith putting dross in a furnace. Ever. Never, ever. But he will heap coal upon coal upon coal unto real gold so that all the dross is going to come out of it. And if we're born again, praise God, that's the only hell that we're ever going to know. Hallelujah. God refines his children because of how precious they are in his sight. And he desires to remove everything from them that does not belong. The furnace is so hot at times. The flames are so high. We think that we're the only one that's enduring this great affliction in the church. But there have been great men who have sat at the gates of Jerusalem. There have been those that have sat with their heads covered in ashes. One of the greatest prophets who ever lived, Jeremiah, who said, you filled my filled me with wormwood and broken my teeth with gravel. Even these three men that we read about, they were men of God, friends of Daniel, men that God had already done miracles through and in their own lives when they were, we're not going to eat a lot of food, you know, we're going to stick with what God said and they looked fantastic. Here they are just completely helpless when they're thrown into the fiery furnace, tied up, bound by the things of the world. And the scripture actually says, in verse 23, that they fell down in the midst of the fire. And this is what happens with most of us when we are thrown into the fiery furnace. None of us, I don't think, just come along in this situation. It's like, oh yeah, I've been in these fiery furnaces before. I'm just going to go whistling Dixie through this thing. No! Or what did you whistle down here? Because I'm a northerner. Or is that the other way? I don't know. Doesn't matter. The point is, is that when we go through these difficult things, all of us fall down. Who has the strength except for Christ to stand up against the wiles of the enemy? But praise God for Jesus. Praise God. He's in me, Joe. He said it tonight. Hallelujah. This happens to so many of us. When the trouble comes, we fall down. And we don't have the fortitude in that moment to realize, hey, I'm still alive in here. We don't, you know, we're so much like Balaam. The donkey's talking and we're just like, ah. And the miracle's right there, but we just, we miss it. Because I'm always looking to be saved and not redeemed. I just want to be, ta I just want my problems to go away. Now I want to be more like Jesus. And if being made more like Jesus takes this furnace that I'm in right now, hallelujah. Because he's working something good in my life. I'm coming to a place where I love the body of Christ in a way that I've never known ever. The appreciation that I have for this church is beyond description. Because without you, I know where I'd be right now. And it wouldn't be good. We have to realize that wherever the Lord places us, we're safe in His hands. Even though we're exposed to destruction, even though there's great difficulty that's taking place, because all things work together for the good, you've got to have an eternal perspective. So it's in a fiery furnace that you often find the people of God. And that's why many of you are in it right now. He's working something in your life. He's bringing you someplace. Greater purity. When we read about those three boys in the fire, we read that they never lost their coats. They didn't singe any of their hair. The smell of the fire wasn't even on them. But they are totally set free from their bonds. And I know that's always preached that way. But praise God for that. Everything that the Lord removes from your life, 
was in some way just holding you back from what God wanted you to be. The plan that He had, that part of the body of Christ that He has predestined for you to fit into. He's making you into that. He's never asked you to make make this great performance. He said, if you would just surrender your life to me, I'll mold the clay exactly how it's supposed to be. And we don't like that. I know I don't. But a true Christian's losses are gains in another shape. If your perspective is eternal, many Christians never know true spiritual liberty until they're cast into a fiery furnace because the flames will burn away the dross of the world. You know, there's so many times where I look back at the difficulties that I faced over the years and it's like sometimes you miss it when everything's good. Because when he went into your prayer closet and he just wept and wept and wept and you didn't want to eat another bite for weeks at a time, just fasted, just wanted to get into the presence of God. There was such a nearness of him. When you opened up the scriptures and begin to read, there was just such a depth to it. There was such a personal cohesion between you and the Holy Ghost that it was just absolutely precious. You were like moving into the heavenly realm in Ephesians. You lose your fear and your pride and the desire to please man. The vanity of a good reputation leaves you. The deception of pretending that we're holier than we are. The desire for the things of the world. You lose all doubt about how God really will be in your moment of despair because He's right there. Even though it's never enough. His presence is never enough. You just want more and more and more because it's so beautiful and it begins to be so tangible and you're just like, I never want this to leave. It's like Moses. I'm sure he never wanted to leave the mountain. And when he got down and just saw everybody dancing naked in front of that calf, you'd know he was just so grieved. The testimony of your life is confirmed in that place. The love of God for you is so amazing. And you just never want to leave. It's like, Lord, don't take me out of the fire. Why did they come out? They're walking with Jesus in there. Nebuchadnezzar. He's like, come out. They just come out. I'm like, why didn't you stay with Christ? I don't understand. But there was a testimony that had to be given, wasn't there? Why don't we, here's my question, rest upon Christ, who is your covenant? Why don't we? Do you really believe that he's abandoned you? Do you not realize that he has allowed things to happen to your life so that you would draw ever closer to him? Do you not believe that he really does love you? Come out to me, my beloved. Oh, I can't get past the Song of Solomon. When she's laying on that bed and he's knocking at the door until the dew is heavy on his head. And I just imagine that that bedspread was just green because I lie down in green pastures. And it's like we love the blessings of God. So much so at times where it's like I want the blessings of the Lord more than the one that's given him. And when he begins to take it away and things happen, we're just like, no! What is important to us? What is your perspective Why do we believe the devil when the devil tells us that God no longer loves us and that's the reason why he's taking this away? Why do we believe the false teachers when they say it's because you don't have any faith that that's why all of this is going away? Why don't we listen to the lover of our soul? Why don't we have a relationship with the one who gave himself for us? Our bridegroom. The one that loves you more than I can even begin to describe to you. Why don't we? The worst sickness that comes only pushes you closer to Jesus. Just ask Shannon Cannon. Because when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. Because he's there. He's married to me. He's not going to leave me. He's not going to forsake me. Ever. When your heart is heavy, it pushes you to seek the Lord. You seek Him with all your heart and you find Him in that place. That's how I got born again. Suicidal. Disillusioned with this world. 
betrayed by business associates. Jesus came and rescued me. Brought me out of absolute hell and misery. When everything vanishes, the money, the business goes belly up. It's then that you find yourself in the prayer meeting with your whole heart. You study the Word of God not to impress anybody but because you're desperate to hear the voice of your beloved. She finally got off the bed, didn't she, in Song of Solomon. She runs out in the night. He's gone. She's running around. Where is he? Where is he? She, she finds other virgins and they say, we'll help you look for him. Praise God for the church. Praise God for the church. When the tree is shaken, the birds leave. Oh, we had a bunch of birds nesting around our house this year. My kids thought it was the greatest thing, seeing all them little baby birds, you know, we'd hoist them up and let them look into that nest. But boy, if you ever walk past that thing, that little bush would shake or whatever, then birds would come flying out of there. And where would they just soar in the heavenlies? That's how we should be. When your bush is shaken, just soar in the heavenlies with the Lord's. We do lose things in the fire, yes. But only that which we should be glad to be rid of. The things which are really setting you free. From the eye of the Spirit, we lose nothing. I was talking to somebody about this this week, but, you know, I'm realizing more and more that the sacrifices that the Lord requires of me are just ashes. And it's like, present your body as a living sacrifice. It's like, this is really easy because I'm worthless. It's just ashes. Like, this is the best deal ever. You know, I'm going to come and give you my little sacrifice of whatever this is, and, and you're going to give me all this beauty? You're going to change me and mold me into the image of Christ? You're going to give me peace and joy? Hallelujah! Even in the midst of suffering? Praise God for that! It's the most wonderful deal that anybody's ever been offered. In verse 25, Nebuchadnezzar, a lost man, saw something that he'd never seen in his entire life. He said, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. They have no hurt. The fourth one looks like the Son of God. What do we do in the fire? We walk with our bridegroom. You walk with the lover of your soul. What better place to be than in the furnace with Jesus? Why did they ever come out? Why do I want out? When you walk with your beloved, there's joy, there's a spring in your step, there's anticipation and excitement about tomorrow. You know that he's never left you. You know he's never abandoned you. They walked in that fire just like Enoch walked with God right before he was taken home. They didn't run in a panic. They didn't walk with a limp like Jacob did. They walked with God like Adam did in the cool of the day. Intimacy. Life that was real. Something that was pure. Everyone saw it. Everyone knew it was God that saved them. The entire rulers of Babylon were all there to witness this. What a testimony. And that's what comes out of the fire. An undeniable testimony of what God has done. Not you and your cleverness. Not the church and all of its money and ability and time. No, no. But what God has done in your life. Nebuchadnezzar's eyes were open and he and all the people that were standing there, they saw Jesus. Psalms 12 says that pure silver is purified seven times. Purified because it's precious. Very precious. And the saints are more precious than silver in the eyes of the Lord. I'm done, musicians, if you want to come. Silver purified seven times. And God had Nebuchadnezzar, I believe it was the Lord, stoke that fire seven times hotter. Seven times hotter. And everything that bound those men was just burnt off. They reflected his image. So much so that this wicked king who had ordered their death 
had a revelation of Christ. And isn't that what you want for those that hate you? Isn't that you, what you want for those that are throwing you in a fiery furnace? These men were refined by God. And you notice that their names were never again mentioned in the Word of God. Ever. Why? Because they had fought the good fight. That's why. They'd finished their course. They'd kept the faith and there was nothing more to be said except for one last verse at the end of the chapter. And it says that they were promoted over the entire realm of Babylon. At the end of that chapter. And at the end of the word of God in Revelation, it says, To him that overcomes, will I grant to sit with me on my throne. Church, I don't know what all of you are going through. Sometimes it's hard to get my eyes off all my own problems. I can tell you these are momentary light afflictions that we're facing. It's just a moment. Life is but a vapor. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. Hallelujah. We're not living for the now. We're living for a different world. It's terrible to be in the fire. I know that I'm there right now. Never forget Christ is with you in that furnace. Other people were able to see him. You might not be able to. But other people can see. They're watching your life, your testimony. We don't always see what God is doing in us, but I can tell you it's beautiful. It's beautiful in the eyes of Jesus. This may seem like very poor comfort to a lot of you. <laughs> but if you have never drank this water, you cannot know its flavor. If the king has never taken you into his banqueting house, if his banner over you has never been love, if, if he's never kissed you with the kisses of his mouth, and if he's never said to you, I am yours and you are mine, in the darkest hour of your life, that you cannot even begin to understand what I'm saying here tonight. But if you, like David, have drunk from the well of Bethlehem, you would risk your life another drink of that water. Because the preciousness of it cannot be described. Intimacy of God and your suffering and your pain. You feel deserted by everyone. It's beyond description. be willing to do it all again. Even if the furnace would heat it was heated 70,000 times hotter. Because you know that Jesus would walk with you on those coals. The scripture says, can a man's feet be touch the coals in Proverbs and not be burned? Paul gives the answer. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Hallelujah. If you're in the fire tonight like I am, Ask the Lord what he's doing in your life. Ask him to give you a vision, to see him with you in the fire. Ask him to hold you close while you're walking through it, while he's working all of this out in your life. Ask him to open the eyes of other people so that they can see Christ 